Welcome to The Row Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about rowing. South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks down barriers. My passion Winning. is to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. Sacrifice, crucial role is high fit. Compassion. Great. Life. Passion. Fiction. Gold. Ultimate goal. Glory. Relentless training. Pain. Pain. <laughs> Hello ladies and gents and welcome to another awesome episode of The Row Show. As always, it's myself, Lawrence Britton, and with me... It's Jake Green, and we are bringing you another great episode, and we're really excited to get another chance to speak to um, a, two big names from the GB rowing system, Ollie Wynn Griffith and Tom George, who have had quite an exceptional year in the men's pair. And uh, yeah, I mean, very, very amazing careers up until this point. Bronze medalist from the Tokyo Olympics, and it seems like they're going from strength to strength. Um, but yeah, definitely two big names to to watch out for. And uh, yeah, we I think I, I really, really enjoyed uh, this episode, just chatting to them. I don't know what you thought, Lawrence. Yeah, I also had, I, I always appreciate chatting to the, the British athletes. I feel like the just the caliber and the standard that um, the British athletes hold themselves to is, is always impressive. And it always comes across really well on the show and on in our interviews and and when we when we chat to athletes so yeah i thought that they were phenomenal i think the british team has had such a good uh 2022 season so you know coming from a difficult uh time where jürgen um or you know when jürgen retired and then they went on to to tokyo didn't have necessarily their best results there that they they necessarily wanted to have or expected to have and then to come back in 2022 with the most phenomenal year across the board, having multiple crews just consistently performing. And then, you know, to have young athletes that, you know, have still got a lot of uh, time left and a lot of career left in their in their legs to come out and have such a good season in the men's pair um, is really, really awesome. Also, I think the pair was such an interesting mm. year. So it was there was just so many elements of, you know, making this uh, chat with uh, with these two athletes really, really awesome. So there was there was so many facets that I think we kind of dug into and picked apart, and and I think it really kind of made an all round epic ep- episode because there were so many different kind of elements to talk about. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there, and I think definitely, you know, it's a crew to watch going forward, um, especially. I really hope they stay in the men's pair and I think they, they will, judging off how the interview went and yes, what an amazing event this year. Um, but besides that, guys, just a thanks to the amazing support from everyone around the world and if you guys are interested in engaging more with the, with the podcast, you can find, find us on Instagram and you can get in touch with us. Our email and our contact details you can find there on, on the platform. And if you're interested in our Patreon program, head over to patreon.com and and type in the row show and go have a look at what we we offer there enjoy the episode guys welcome ladies and gentlemen to another epic interview on the row show and today we are joined by ollie Wynn griffith and tom george from great britain guys welcome to the show and, and thanks for giving us the time it's awesome to have you on thanks, oh thank guys. you for having us we're excited good to be here of course um and so I mean, straight off the bat, you guys spent quite a lot of time together in the boat, not just this year in the pair. And, you know, throwing it right back to your days at Radley College. 
Um, just interested to to hear about you know just your thoughts on your your guys' career um, starting off at Radley, what growing at Radley was like, and if you had any sort of idea that you know you had you had gone the journey that you you've been on uh, since then. Yeah, I, I guess like we all kind of I started rowing as a way to keep fit in the off season for rugby. Um, there was a bit of there's quite a lot of family history in the sport in my in my family with Cambridge as well actually with um, my grandfather coached there for a bit and then my great grandfather raced there in like the early 30s and went to the Olympics as well um, so there was always like a bit of a nagging um, I guess fascination with the sport I I was also so I'm the youngest of three brothers as well and the other two were like very very good cricketers so I was like kind of 13 years old pretty lanky pretty tall packing down in, in the second row and the other two adopted to play cricket so the, the, my mum and dad were kind of like yeah you look like you might go okay in a boat so um let's see how this goes but it, it, it was very much like kind of a means to an end as I say to like keep pursuing my like passion of playing rugby and staying fit in the off season so I, I like came back mobile came back as a good line out forward um early season you know so um and ever it wasn't like you get in a boat at 13, 14 and, and, and you think that you're going to go on a 15 year journey. Um, it was more just like kind of follow your passions and follow your dreams. And I guess like you understand, you kind of learn pretty quickly that you like the feeling of racing and you like being competitive. Um, and mm. rowing is very much a place for that kind of individual. I've, I find it quite interesting. Like you guys have, uh, you know, you've, you've, you've spent a lot of time over the years with some good coaches. And I know um, at Radley, you, you must have been coached by uh, John Gearing and Tom, any, any thoughts? I know, you know, he's, he's done a good work there at Radley and any thoughts on you starting your career getting uh, coached by John Gearing? Uh, yeah, I absolutely love John. Uh, working with Jake for a few, I did three years with him and he became a sort of massive mentor as well as uh, being a rowing coach, which was really cool. I think he's, he's sort of from the outside at least everyone thinks he's a massive enigma mm. because he's really quiet and you know he's that quiet guy who um is, is very few words but when he says things they normally make it make an impact and and obviously every year that we were there and for a few years he was doing the the like junior eights as well so the gb stuff so he was just sort of building this reputation on the on the school circuit of, of being this uh sort of sage-like character and uh yeah, I absolutely loved working with him, and I think obviously he's come close a few times, but it's never quite won Henley with Radley, and I think that that's a real shame because he absolutely deserves to. And, and I think that uh, it's not so much him, but maybe some of the athletes that he, that have like maybe not won it. Like when we we didn't win it, we lost in the final in 2012, uh, and I think mm. he probably set us up perfectly to go and win Henley. And I think we uh, maybe were a bit naive in that final and didn't didn't win it. And uh, yeah, I think that it's only a matter of time before he's able to do that. And that's sort of the final like feather in the cap for him, I think. Yeah, it's such a small world because uh, John Gearing uh, coached at Jake's school just before moving Just before to... I got there. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. Andrews. There you go. Yeah, such a small world. I actually, I feel like so many guys go to St. Andrews there as well because, especially in the rowing circles, I don't know if that's, do you like go there deliberately because it's good at rowing? Because like I went to, um, went to Princeton with a couple of, with uh, Andy Morgan, who was there, and a couple other guys. I think so, it's just had yeah. such a big culture of performing, like, highly at rowing. So I think a lot of athletes that, I think they kind of got sucked into the team because they were performing well 
and then that culture of just winning in the in the school i think so i don't think it was more i don't mm. think it was as, as much of a fact as people going there because the rowing was good but more just getting sucked into the the team because the the team was good mm. no it's it sounds about right oh, okay yeah and then yeah also i mean like obviously you, you guys know at school you, you kind of like uh, you get a taste of the the culture and and i i often find you, john must have been similar in sort of uh, helping you guys on the journey you know getting you to juniors and and certainly giving your your first kind of steps off the school on that under 23 program because you know for me at school we were my coach was donovan check a olympic medalist from south africa so you know it's it's very much like uh getting getting mentored by these kind of characters is a huge a huge help on your journey that you take you know after school and usually is the first step towards greater things yeah for sure i feel like um he definitely, certainly in our era, set up a really strong culture within the guys. I mean, you think, so Charlie Elwes was, what, three years below me, Tom? Two below you? Yeah, he's two below me, yeah. So, like, Charlie came through as well. Um, and there was quite a big cohort that ended up going to the States in, like, 2012, 2013, 2014. Um, which not mm. that many athletes had done it from, from Madley before then. And I think John really, like, helped us just like build quite a hard working um, culture around training and stuff. So then at the, at the time we didn't really realize what we were doing was that unusual, but because you're all, because you're all doing it together, but actually like you look back on it and there were kind of, I remember doing like erg sessions from like nine till 10 at night, because that was when we had to fit them in or like you go rowing at like 6am on the water and stuff. Mm. And um, at the time it didn't seem that strange, but when you look back at it, it's like, if I saw a 16 year old kid doing that, I'd be like, wow, that guy's pretty driven and he wants to go yeah. and do something. Mm. Um, but like, that's fully down to John. Yeah, like, John was net. He's never like a big guy to like pump up speeches or anything. But as Tom said, it's, it was like small words here or there that really drove people to, to do the extra session or do the, um, do kind of like just find that extra like yard of pace. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of epic to see it happen when it, with someone who, doesn't have to like beat the drum and like shout the loudest to make to get that response out of guys i feel like that's the the best like position to be in as an athlete when you like want to work hard for your coach just because of like a small you know one or two comments here and there and that just slowly building that that culture but then the other question i want to ask those because uh, ollie you swapped sides this last season were you were you guys always on stroke side together even from school yeah, yeah since we wrote yeah even at school yeah yeah. So then you you obviously didn't row that many pairs beforehand. It was all fours and and eights um, early on. Yeah, we yeah hundred percent your time together. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, yeah, we, no, Tom. I don't think we'd really even been in a four together, <laughs> like properly. I feel like we always feel like we'd done like eights together a lot. We always got picked though for similar seats, right? Like it was always certainly back back here in the British team. It was like right, someone's going to sit six and someone's going to sit four. Um, and I don't necessarily think like it had to be that way, but that was just the way the kind of makeup happened. Um, and then certainly at school, like TG, you just kind of got brought in half halfway through your what second year at school. Yeah. Just cause yeah. like he was just this yeah. kid pulling ridiculous egg scores and they were like, right, we might need a bit of that in the eight. <laughs> um, it's kind of funny actually. So Tom's older brother was a lightweight who was the year above me and was also in the eight like our school late in like 2011 um but yeah. cg is like way bigger than him like way broader than him and then there was like 
it's kind of <laughs> Alex is like the the wise lightweight sitting in the seven seat, and like you know that like when Tom is like a young kid, would just be like shouting stuff at him from back at three, um, which is like yeah, quite heavy. Yeah. Like, the, like, like the, I just remember like having the like racing with two brothers is it can be like, I guess like quite intense. Um, we didn't really think about it by then. Yeah, the brothers don't hold back. <laughs> yeah, Lawrence yeah it's, it's hold different, back. isn't it? It's different, isn't it? And then, yeah, Tom, so you, you went to Princeton after school and like that seems to be quite like, uh, you know, you, you stayed rowing for GB at an 23 level and then, uh, you know, after your time at Princeton, you, 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 you got involved in the, you know, in the, the, full, the full team and which eventually led you to Olympics. You know, just to cast your, your, your memories of your time at Princeton, you know, Kind of like what what did that you know prepare you for like what what did you what sort of insights did you gain from like racing at Princeton where it wasn't maybe necessarily as high pressure environment but you know obviously there's huge um, prestige in the collegiate rowing system in America. Yeah, I think the the collegiate rowing system is uh, yeah just kind of completely unique in terms of I know we always used to describe it as like under twenty three fantasy league stuff you know everyone comes in mm-hmm. uh, they go around the world and they're flying people all over the world to like meet athletes and like bring them in <laughs> and and uh, yeah we always used to look at it and i was incredibly like i read a lot of good guys uh good and great rowers when i was there um in terms of what it prepared me for i think just every day is, is a race essentially regardless of like the rate you're rowing at or the uh speeds they wanted it always just degenerates and devolves into just like whatever the rate is set by the coach, but as hard as you can, flat stick. And I think you just get pretty tough and you get pretty um, sort of wise to how to race. Obviously, you also get pretty good at stealing a seat at the start and trying to like, you know, get up. And those little things don't necessarily help out so much. But uh, yeah, and then at Princeton, we had a, an amazing like winter program. So I feel like everyone used to go massive on, on like ergs and that just sort of grew from there. When I was there, there was like five or six guys going, uh, I'm just going five, under 555, under 554. And it was just pretty cool in that regard. Obviously, we never actually went on to win the IRA or the sprints. So I don't really know how useful that necessarily was. But uh, yeah, I, I felt like we, we sort of like sharpened the tools pretty well and were in pretty good shape uh, to then. It, it put me in a great place to be able to come back and like integrate into the team. And yeah. And also, yeah, I think we we did a pretty good job of like mixing and matching which boats we were in. It was quite nice. Like, you know, you turn up one day, it'd be with, you're doing fours, then you're doing pairs, then you're doing eights and just kind of became a bit more familiar with what we are doing. A lot of Cox fours, which I didn't love, but, um, but it was nice to, you know, mix and match those things a little bit. Mm. And was it difficult uh, to judge, like to balance the, you know, the under 23 system and your, you know, your GB uh, national team stuff with, training overseas because i know that that's a big topic for like a lot of countries how yeah. they manage are you some countries don't even let people uh, race from overseas so this you know how was that for you guys was it because obviously you as you said you went in there with a, quite a big group yeah uh, when we first went um it was fully like if you go you'll never row for great britain again yeah in 2012 when we did juniors in 2012 that was the official line from great from gb it was like you'll never do this again um but obviously it became pretty clear already that there were some guys who had sort of blazed the trail a bit earlier who were already doing it and coming back for the summers and coming back after henley um unfortunately for us they did change the rule that if you did henley you couldn't do under 23s as well because it was too close together so you had to like pick doing under 23s Mm. or henley whilst 
I remember being at school and watching all these guys come and race at Henley with like Harvard or Cal and then just like slotting into an under 23 boat with two weeks training. That would have been pretty nice. But um, by the time we got to that point, maybe our first year earlier, I don't know, maybe our first year, it was a little bit like uncharted territory. We came back and we're in this like training group. But once we'd done that, it was fully set. It's like, this is the pathway. This is the route. Like we've got to embrace it. And I think GB's done a pretty good job of embracing it since then. Yeah, they, they did it. They were, I feel like the British system were massively the, the first movers on that side of things in terms of trying to embrace the States and, and almost like not farm athletes out there. But if you send 20, like 10 athletes that way, that's 10 athletes that you don't necessarily have to worry about funding for a certain period of time. It's, they get mm, they get good sure. coaching they get good exposure to, to to a high level of racing yeah you kind of lose a little bit of control over their development but definitely i think when we came back in 2014 it was the first year that they'd said okay right we'll let you do this but when you're back in the country on like the first of june or whenever it is you're kind of under our guidance and 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 that was a trade-off like you don't race for university or whoever you want to at Henley. you kind of come in and do the project that we want you to do um and definitely i think that they'd say that the success that they've had later on has been out, kind of born out of like really building that pathway out and making sure that like athletes can do what they want in the States, but then also come back and um, in good time to put things together um, for the under 23s. Yeah. I almost feel like you have to have a lot of athletes though, to get that right though, because like, for South Africa, a lot of the time is it kind of splits our, you know, we don't have a lot of athletes to start with. And then it like splits the kind of pool. And then the athletes in the in the States feel like there's no one really to come back with and row here. And then the athletes here like don't trust the athletes coming back from the States. So uh, we've seen it, especially on our like heavyweight women's side, has kind of struggled with that because there's not like the pool is not big enough. So like having it split is like almost detrimental. Yeah, you need a critical mass and you also need people to kind of commit yeah. to it year on year on year. So selectors, when they don't have a load of time, know what a good proportion of the team is about and what it looks like. I'm not saying that people who would come back in from the States and not get seat race or not earn their seats. But if you've been part of the team year on year on year, the third year, the kind of selector knows knows yes. where kind of where you're at on the ergo because you've had to submit scores and stuff and they kind of know what you're about as a rower. So it's yeah. not like trying to create a blank canvas team in five days, which we all know is, is going to end up with some pretty funky results. Ali, it would be a miss of us to, you know, speak about your time at Yale and not speak about Steve Gladstone. I mean, he's a huge figure, you know, in the actual, the whole world of rowing, not just in the collegiate uh, world at, um, uh, of the USA. Uh, any, you know, any sort of insights into, you know, his, his coaching style there? Because he definitely seems to be almost a mystic figure in the, in the rowing community. I think, People believe that there's some sort of magic wand that he waves or he's got, he knows something <laughs> that everyone else doesn't, but it, it's, yeah. it's not rocket science and there's no magic bullet. He's, he's a leader. He's just a leader of men. And like, he's a guy who creates programs a through the people that he recruits, but he places a lot of emphasis on, on the collective, like the good of the collective being the goal rather than wanting individuals who will kind of, think that they're more important than the team or think that where they sit is more important than, than how fast the boat goes. Um, and, and I think in my four years, I realized pretty quickly that the guy takes no prisoners when it comes to um, like individuals. So if you're not willing to kind of 
go with the direction of the team or go with what's good for the team. And and let's say you get dropped from the varsity and you end up in in the JV or the three V and you start throwing your hands up and getting annoyed, like he's got no qualms and saying, like you're done. Um, and I think mm. it's shown wherever he's gone, the guys just built programs, and he's just one of those coaches who he could say anything to those guys and they do it. Like they they'll walk across hot coals for him. Um, and he's just like a hugely inspiring guy to have on the launch every single day. Um, I, w- I wouldn't mm. say that he had anything in terms of rowing long and letting the boat run in terms of like magical technical bullets, but like it's like eight spraying isn't that complicated. Mm. Um, and he definitely put, put you on a start line in a position where you always believed that you, you had the chance of winning the race. And I think that that was something that is kind of funny. Cause I think a lot of people can sit on start lines and think, Oh, what's about to happen here. Whereas his kind of question was always like, why not me? Why shouldn't we win today? Why should it be the guy next door to me? Um, and like, it's a lot of fun. Like, it's so easy to create a, an environment when you're just recruiting guys from around the world and feel like they've won the lottery to go to the program, um, just to like mm. smash heads together and, and race eights every day. You know, I think it is no surprise to see the the sort of the amount of guys from not just you know not just from Steve Gladstone, but from the collegiate system, like as rowing for GB at the moment and. You know, off the off the back of the season, this is must be one of the most successful seasons that GB's had, especially post Olympics. Um, Tom, going back to you, so you know, you guys finished up on the states, and you know, what was it like joining the this the senior uh, GB team, and obviously shifting focus from under twenty threes towards the the Olympic Games? Like things become a bit more serious, and you start competing against you know the the best in the world. What was it like? coming across from collegiate rowing rowing at under 23s and then getting involved in the the big senior system and and the high performance sport of elite rowing i think ollie actually probably has he has some like good stories surrounding this because so i uh did like a senior worlds and then went back to princeton for my final year so then for me the actual integration back into the team was really like not i'm not gonna say easy but like relatively simple in terms of like i came back and i had it and yoga was like you're gonna race the world cup in two weeks time uh, and I sort of fortunately already, by, I, I came fifth in the pair in 2017. And I think that then set me up in his eyes to be someone that he could trust to be in, in the squad. Um, whilst Ollie kind of came back in, like came to Sarasota and then came back in and did that first year, that full year. Whilst like I was kind of fortunate enough to be able to slightly, I guess, hide away in the States and, uh, and, uh, and yeah and just sort of do my thing and obviously like we trained really hard and pb'd on my 2ks and my 6ks uh, and that was important but um didn't kind of do the first that first year like the trial system and i think that in 2018 i kind of realized that in 2019 sorry the like 2019 season realized how like savage this trial system is in terms of like competing with your friends and your mates but it did take me like 18 months to have that experience of being in the team because mm-hmm. i kind of um my first like proper trial was, uh, well, like side by side trial was, uh, well, it would have been in, in like March or April of 2019. Whilst we've done like long distance stuff, but obviously you, that's like time trial bits. What, but once it's when you get side by side with your teammates and suddenly you're like, oh, we're all trying to actually just like beat each other up a bit here and t- take each other's seats. And that was the point, I think that's where your chickens kind of come home to roost and you're suddenly like, oh, here we are. This is actually, like you said, that the step up from like, oh, I want to win the sprints or win the IRAs to being like, 
I want to try and win the Olympic Games is massive. Um, mm. And I think you kind of need those moments to wake you up to that and to make you realize that actually, like you've got to commit to, to like everything you do. It's an all the time thing. It's not just like, oh, it's no longer like oh, I walk down to the boathouse at the end of my school day and just like get in a boat and have a row and it's quite fun. It's more like, okay, what am I eating this evening? Am I going to bed early enough? Am I getting up in time to like get a proper breakfast in? You know, what can I do throughout the day between sessions? Um, and I think those like little learnings are quite interesting. Uh, but yeah, just, like that first year for me, like I was quite, I kind of like landed on my feet slightly, which was pretty fortunate, especially coming from the States. I feel like a lot of guys were made to like, you know, do this sort of time and go through that. So like, um, you know, I think most countries have a very competitive environment where you're going out on the water exactly how you're saying and racing each other. But I feel like Brit the British team is like that even a level above where your trials are, you know, public and all your results are getting posted. The whole world is kind of talking about just the, the trials and that's just you guys racing against each other, which is almost like another level of, you know, competition and, and like brutality amongst the team before you even make your cruise and, and get into, into world champs and have to race against the rest of the world. Ali, how was your, uh, Tom said that you had, uh, you know, kind of a different experience. What was yours like joining the, the senior team? Yeah, certainly my first full year in the team was, was pretty up and down. Um, I was a spare in Sarasota in 2017. Tom and I came back from the US. We did a pairs matrix. Um, and I don't think I'd seen a pair. Well, I paddled around in one. But as we all know, taking a pair from rate 20 to rate 36. <laughs> Um, over <laughs> five 2k pieces is, is a different beast and um, I think they actually might be one pair left at the bottom of the lake from that day from me um, <laughs> so I, I, I scraped my way into the team and, and I was like kind of not annoyed with myself but also it's a massive learning curve and then I got really really lucky at the champs so Will Satch, Satch um, his heart was like on the wonk for the semi-final um and I, Jürgen came to me, like, I think the race is at, like, 10.30. He came to me at, like, 9 a.m. and was like, what are you doing today? And I was like, I don't know. Do you need some help, like, getting the boat down or, like, set a blaze? <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 you're going to race today. And I was like, I'm what? Like, I was like, where? And he was like, Will's ill, so you're going to be, you're going to jump in the four. And I was like, what, in the straight seat? And he was like, yeah, I think so. And I, like, calmly tried to go back into um, – <laughs> go back into the athlete rest area. And actually, TG was sitting there. You were racing the pair later that day. And I, like, yeah, started searching through my bag, like, basically trying for, like, no one to, like, notice me and be like, oh, so I can just, like, deal with this, like, mounting anxiety, <laughs> of anxiety in my head on my own. And I pulled out my racing all at once. TG's like, what's going on? And I was like, nothing. He's like, are you racing today? <laughs> and I was like, yep. And I remember you just looking at me clear as day and just be like, epic. Where are you sitting? And I was like, Statue's <laughs> injured. So I'm getting, he was like, well, good luck then. And I, and I, and I like went to, it was like, yeah, and, and by the way, it's in like 45 minutes. Yeah. So I've got to go. So yeah. like, <laughs> I went to, I went to like one of those porter cabins that they have. Let's go put my all on. It's like Sarasota, it's like 40 degree heat, raining down. Like I'm sweating bullets in this, in this little plastic box. Mm. Being like, well, this could well, this could well <laughs> be the end of my career before it's even started. Um, I get in the boat, like, remember, like, turning around in the warm-up and, like, to Mo, I was like, um, what's the starting sequence, by the way? And he was like, oh, we do this, 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 like, it'll be fine, I'll call it. And the race happens, like, we came second 
Um, but there was a moment definitely that halfway down the track where I like realised that it was actually going quite well. And I go from like being like zoned straight in watching it to then like looking around like a kid in a like candy shop, be like, oh, like shares that. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm like banging the men's British men's four along, like ten year old me's jumping up and down, like happy as a clam. Um, but then like coming mm. back into the team for a full first season and like getting there, doing the winter in the UK, like smashing about in a pair. The weather's not can generally be pretty terrible pretty windy you're like kind of knocking it around doing long miles in, in a small boat that you haven't even like really seen before um having been in the states can be quite like a i remember just getting like i put the boat on the water and she'd be like god just like survive 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 and then you'd like get home just crash on the sofa um and then all the while you're like trying to like build a new support network make new friends like get to know the guys on the team and then you also kind of realise that there's that game of musical chairs in the, in the in the changing room where you walk in and it's like, right, there's 18 guys here, there's 14 racing seats. I've got a beat for like three of you to make sure yeah. I get my seat. Um, and it went quite well through the trials period. And then final trials, like Lawrence just spoke about how public it is. So I was in a pair with T-Ran and it had gone pretty well, but I had no experience racing side by side in a pair. Um, and we we completely screwed it up. Like we came 14th in the time trial. So we didn't even make the AB semi. Um, and I just remember standing there being like, wow. So Jürgen, the greatest coach in history has coached me and like basically put a load of faith in me to, to get this done. And I'm not even racing for a place in the A final. Like it's like, right. Your job, like, your weekend's over before it's even begun. And I've got an Olympic champion in the bow seat. I like, mm. I couldn't look further and like closer to my, myself in the mirror and be like, wow, like I've really screwed this up. Um, and then you have to come back the next day. So you have to race. At least you won the C final. No, 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 let me get to that. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, so, like, we had to, so, like, you have to do the semi final, won the semi final, and then turned up, and Jürgen was like, look, all you can do is put down a quick time and show that, like, it was just a mistake and you're competitive. So, go and win the C final. Game second in the C final. So, um, <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember the day just wasn't going your I way. The day being done at like nine a.m. for me, and the guys, the rest of the guys, like still getting ready to race, and just like walking around the building, knowing that there's so many people there and there's so many eyes, and like just feeling like everyone is like looking at you, being like, "How did you screw that up so badly?" Um, and that for me is like a moment. We had, I mean, we I was lucky enough that we had seat racing two weeks after, so I had to find my way in, like, and earn my seat that way, but. For me, it's like any new athlete that comes in, it's like not if you get kicked, it's when you get kicked and how you respond to that because everyone's going to get a poor result somewhere. If you do this much racing and the form book kind of like rolls up and down and it's this competitive, at some point you're going to be on the wrong side of something and it's how you respond yeah. to those to those days and can you like pick yourself up and go again and not doubt yourself too much um, as to whether I feel like you have longevity in the team. Um, it's very interesting mm. you talk to guys about their trials results and I think everyone in their own head remembers their worst result rather than their best result and like it's like yeah. like conscious of the fact that if you don't prepare perfectly and you don't make sure you're fully on your game someone is going to like steal your lunch money um, and for me that first year was just like I remember that happening and just thinking like that can never ever happen again to me. I can never like make sure that I'm like that naive or that like blind to the preparation side of things that like you put yourself in that position. Um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty 
bleak day and like the rest of the season I just remember kind of turning up every day and thinking when am I going to get dropped out of this eight because he doesn't think I'm good enough so that also kind of put a massive rocket mm. on my ass to make sure that I was at 100% every single day she's mm. that's crazy and it's it's one of the most insane like from an outsider watching the 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 British team it's like there's not there aren't any other countries in the whole world I think where you can if you have like an off day you make a C final in mm. your national you know selection regatta it's most countries are you know you're with you're fighting for you know the 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 gold medal over the the bronze or something you know and um so yeah i think that that pressure that's such an interesting kind of element but then yeah going into the the eight i mean that must have been 2018 and 2019 must have just been pretty awesome years you know everyone was you know your, your whole the whole team is going for the eight and things were were kind of you know you were or you know it was really close racing all the time yeah 18 was 18 was tough i guess 18 was a bit up and down um like uh when I, from when i came back in for world cup two and we like beat the german eight in the rep and then lost them in the final but we're like wow okay we're making huge inroads here we go and then got absolutely rolled by uh the aussies at henley <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> covered myself in glory in that one uh and then uh then we turned up at Europeans and got came fifth. Just Swan Gate, we always called it because uh, we hit a swan. But it was actually a goose, but uh, I called it a swan. And, and uh, I like to think, I don't know, I was at the end, I was like, oh, I hit a swan, I hit a swan. And the guy was like, well, I saw a goose. Like, basically, like, you know, off you go, son. Uh, you, you've come fifth. Yeah, we <laughs> I'm were, not sure we, what you want us must, to do about that. You hit a swan. We must hit the swan like 100 metres from the line. So in the arms went up. Yeah, the damage was fully done. The, t- the tide had gone. The umpire yeah. literally said, I, I take it that the, the swan slash goose wasn't doing too well after that incident. Oh, I know. I swam away happy as a clam. I, I think I hit it on like the arse a little bit, you know. I was in the bow seat <laughs> and I just, yeah. And we, yeah. And then it was like, right, go to Silveretto and try and like rescue something. And I just remember like Jürgen was pretty savage. He wasn't very happy, obviously. Um just being like, okay, right now, kind of like Ollie said, it was just like every day being like, who said it before, it was like every day, it's just like, right, how can we not mess this one up? Because we got to do, we got to keep getting better and better and prove that we're like good enough to be one of his boats. Um, so then we, we did win a bronze at the Worlds and like the lanes got reseeded for a crosswind, but we were like out on the other side because we'd come through the rep. And it's kind of one of those ones where you were like, oh, I wonder what actually would have happened if it had been like calm and dead flat because we had an absolutely piping race. It was pretty epic. Um, but that bronze felt like quite a big win from where we'd come from. At like, okay, we did kind of well in Linz, but something happened, Henley and Europeans, that just meant that it never, like it felt just like bad, basically. It just didn't feel good ever. <laughs> just remember getting in it and being like, this is hard all the time until we got to like Silvetta and then it was like, Right, guys, we've got to wax ourselves now because otherwise we're in trouble. <laughs> Ollie, I'll, to talk now that we're talking about like racing in the eight, you know, I've never I've never raced in the eight, but after watching so many eight races, it just seems like, you know, it's a very... It's Race Peluco, Jake. What oh, do you mean? Dude, that's, I don't think Peluco uh, scratches Wait, it on, you on were, the discussion. You always went eight Yeah, we did. After, after a full... I don't. It it is like um. You guys know how it works with like the the two two schedules of racing in one weekend. You do heat final, heat final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then okay, at the yeah, end yeah, of the yeah. second, 
end of the second regatta after doing like four four back-to-back races absolutely blitz we got into um got into the eight and uh, smashed down the track and got absolutely dropped in the first like <laughs> 300 meters i i was making the calls from the four seat because we had an italian cox and obviously we don't know what the hell he's saying <laughs> and i just remember looking and watching the romanian second eight just pipe it down the track and just lying yeah. to everyone like guys we're moving just stay on it we're moving oh no <laughs> uh, but we actually had a pretty good second k we almost uh we almost beat the italian um the italian eight at the at the line we must have had like the second or third fastest second k but yeah. jesus the, the eight start is nothing of it. Yeah, you just got to get going. It's like, out you yeah. go. Don't worry yeah. about the yeah. next three, five hundreds. Because our racing in the eight is like quite big at school. But then, you know, once you once you finish school rowing, then the varsity rowing in the eight, we have like a few big races. But it's, you know, our where the national team is training, that varsity team is usually pretty strong. So then we never really had like big, big no. eights racing. And then it's always down to the pairs and every now and then a four. So yeah, we enjoyed chatting about the eight because it's like it's such a big step from you know the from the pair up yeah. to to the speed of the eight. Lads, can I just run and get my charger? Um, no, so go go ahead. No stress, don't stress. Well, this is where we're going to use Tom to give us all sorts of uh, of info on yeah. Riley there. Yeah, good info. Yeah, what's he really like rowing with? Here. That's the question. Oh man, it's actually pretty epic. I really enjoyed it. Like um. Especially since he swapped sides. Well, not I enjoyed rowing them before. That sounded bad, but um, uh, just like since swapping sides and getting the pair, and I, I think obviously that's like Baker's thing at Cambridge was like I want to get you guys uh, to row a pair together. Um, and we have this like quite epic story of um, like we Baker sits us both down and he's like, oh, right guys, one of you needs to swap sides for the eight and also for the pair. And I literally was like, yeah, it's not going to be me. <laughs> and I just like I just yeah I was like nah I don't think my body why were you help so why are you so against it? it I don't know I just I was like I've never rode that side ever like literally like yeah and I was like my body's not gonna be able to handle it I don't know just like my hips everything I was like mm. and Ollie literally was like I'll do it here we go I'll take it on so I mean credit to him and I didn't yeah he's he's rescued that one hasn't he so yeah which is pretty cool and then obviously it's like pretty fun doing a pairs season. With, like your best mates yeah and you just mm. get to like uh like yeah you, it's obviously just you guys there's no one else there to help you out so when it's on it's on and it's epic and when it doesn't quite go right you're like right well we need to what it's pretty obvious what you need to work on and you can just have frank conversations be like this is what i think we need to work on go and do it yeah it's very simple you know there's no simple not easy i kind of like the thought of that it's like very simple but it's mm. never easy but it's like really simple compared with like the moving parts of a bigger boat like yeah, and, yeah and i i must say with the the pair like uh there's something it's a it's a way more intimate boat like the the fact that you got one one person that's got a hundred percent responsibility for like one side of the boat and, and the other person and you can't actually you can't directly control uh what your you know what what's happening on the on the bow side and it's just the two people like it's a much more i think intense experience and like I, I often find like if it's not working, then it's, you know, it's an absolute disaster. But if you do manage to get a bit of synergy going and like if you can build quite a, a cool um, s- kind of a, s- a sense of narrative between the, the two people, you can really make some magic happen in the pair. And I often, often find like when I think about my favorite racing from the past, there's so many like pair results, not just at racing, just in training pieces 
a lot of a lot of the time those those good those good uh good memories come from the rowing in the pair 100 percent. yeah 100 yeah. percent. i feel like we've sort of talked about this quite a lot as well throughout the year it's like you're quite a lot more lucid when you're in the pair and aware of what's going on and obviously like you said you're far more responsible for yourself but it's a lot less like head banging like in the eight just drag race it out and a lot more like, feel it out uh obviously going out high and hard but it's like okay I'm here, have a look around, race a bit longer, like what can I do? Can I move here? Can I not? I think that you just have a lot more control over things and makes you sort of remember, especially like the the, the good races, you're just like, wow. So yeah, on top yeah. of it and it's just perfect, you know. The um yeah, just talking about like it's it's hard not uh not complicated is like that was yeah. our mantra basically for 2016 was we'd always say that to each other because you know it's so yeah. easy to make it complicated. And you get like stuck down a rabbit hole trying to yeah. analyze like some technical aspect or some feeling in the boat that's that's not quite right. But then you just go back to like, okay, well, let's get the basics done properly yeah. and work hard on the the basics and then not have to to get so complicated and don't have to like analyze it. Yeah, I mean you yeah. can really tear yourself up. Mm. Exactly. I was what I was what I was going to say earlier to Ollie was just like just throwing it back to the eight. Like one thing I'm always fascinated with, and I mean we've spoken about it, but with the intensity, is just how it is very different to to other boats, and it seems like you have to start at such insane intensity and just go out with so much purpose. And I don't know. I think it's it might be because of the fact that you know an eight doesn't shift water as fast as like it can't change its speed as fast as smaller boats. So like if you miss if you miss the start, if you miss the first seven hundred meters, you you're pretty much out of the race. And Ollie, just chat to us a bit about like the experience of racing in an eight and an elite level and that that sort of intensity and like having to operate so close to like the you know to the to the abyss of of what the human body can actually do yeah and it's, i also feel like it's such small margins between being fully on and if you even if you're like 0.1 percent away from where you need to be physically that can translate to such a big gap in in terms of um boat speed that like the race is kind of done. Um, I'll be honest, I can't really imagine getting back in an eight and doing a racing start. Um, <laughs> I spoke to... So, yeah, so I'd be dropped. I'd be left behind. So back in Belgrade, mm. um, we had a little bit of COVID in the team and one of the guys dropped out the four. So then Morgan Boulding from the eight doubled up in, in one of the fours and in the eight. So then the eight needed a guy to paddle in it. So John Collins got in the eight, having been paddling around in a single for like three months. Um, um, apparently he did a racing start and he was literally like what just happened I don't even know how <laughs> like I, I can hold that intensity um, it's a fright yeah. it's, it's it's so epic and it's an epic way to race but it's also such a frightening way to race where you're you're literally basically it's just like right pedal to the net metal, metal from like first stroke and don't take it off until like A either everyone else just like you've blown everyone else to pieces or to the finish line and I, I can't even, the place you put yourself in your head mentally to race the eight is, is so different to where you are in the pair. I feel certainly in, in the bow seat this year, making the calls and like actually having to do a bit of kind of like tactical assessments down the track, you have to be lucid. Whereas in mm. the eight, it's quite easy just to get completely lost in A, the rhythm if it's great, hopefully, and B, just like, the amount of force you have to put through every single stroke. 
Um, it's kind of amazing how different it is, yet we're, you're doing literally exactly the same sport. So was talking about the eight, I mean, we've we got to touch a, a little bit on, on Tokyo and, you know, your both of your first Olympic Games, uh, obviously a very different Olympic Games to, you know, what, uh, what it's usually like with the COVID and coming through, getting the, the year postponed. Um, how was it uh, for you guys, just the kind of the experience of, the, of Tokyo? Because obviously you don't have that uh, a reference for, you know, what it's like the environment that it's usually like, but it was, it was quite a different games. Uh, Tom, what is, what is it like for you? Yeah, I think it's still obviously incredibly special and uh, it was an unbelievable experience in terms of like being in the village and going to the venues and the way that everything was like laid out. Obviously not having fans there was, uh, and family and friends was massively sort of not at all what you'd expect from this such an epic spectacle. But I guess like at least we got to go to the Olympics. That's probably the big way I'd look at it. So at least we got to do that anyway. Um, but definitely uh, from what I've heard from other guys and like talking to people like Mo, they're just like, trust me, go to Paris like if you can and see, trust me, it's just infinitely, basically better because you really feel like it's a celebration of sport and like an absolute carnival of, of like everyone is competing but around it, there's so much that comes with it and so much mm. like love for the Olympics. And so I think that's something that obviously I just look forward to. Like, should I make it to Paris? I hope to be able to like enjoy that aspect of it and soak that in a bit because it was, it definitely was like quite lonely in, in Tokyo in terms of being able to switch off from, from the event because obviously you're either like in your, at your venue or in the village. And then like, we were all living in an apartment together, but and all you could do was go for walks around the around the village, which was cool. But obviously, it was baking hot and humid, and you, it definitely felt like it was you were quite like cooped up and in. So that was always something that was just like a bit a bit different to what I possibly had anticipated. Um, but at the same time, like getting to race the Olympic Games is still pretty special. Yeah. So on the on the the Tokyo Olympics, like it it was seems like you know obviously it was a bit of a different experience, but regardless of what was happening around the world, like there was still a regatta happening and, and there was still racing and they're still racing on the cards. Um, and, you know, watching you guys at the Olympic Games from race to race, it seems like you guys went from strength to strength. I'm sure like your your heat probably didn't go as the way you guys planned. But, you know, chatting a bit through the heat and then to the rep and then obviously we'll speak about the final. But, you know, it definitely seems like you guys find found yourselves a little bit more as each race came past. And then obviously to be part of that Olympic eight final, um, what must have been an absolutely incredible experience and especially to be part of that race and come away with a bronze medal. So Ali, can you, you chat to us a little bit about what the, the racing was like there at the games? So the heat, we'd run ourselves through, through our minds, like anything can happen on race day, right? You run through, what if this happens? What if that happens? Um, one thing I didn't really think about was, uh, so the starting system did not work at all on our heat. Um, mm. And they called us, they called, did the call over, brought everyone forward, and we sat there for about 45 seconds, waiting for the light to go from go to green to go out. Um, mm. And it didn't happen. And then they recalled it over to try to use the starting system again. And then there was like a 20 second pause where she said attention. And then there was just kind of like this go with a question mark on the back of it. And um, the boots didn't go down for any of the eights. So you kind of like pushed over them. Um, 
I think Mo turned round and I saw Mo's eyes. Like, I was like, is this <laughs> actually happening? Like, I was like, his shoulder and I was like, uh, go. I don't know. Yeah. The race, the race started and we, we didn't have a good race. And it was just like one of those moments was like, wow, that wasn't what I expected to be the first thing that happened yeah. when I stepped up like, the field of play at the Olympics. Um, and as soon as that happened, it was pretty like, right, yeah, we're at battle stations already, but it was full like, right, all hands on deck. We need to sit down. Let's talk about this. Let's, we need to have on it like, like, we need to be honest about like whether that's the performance that we wanted to put out. Um, and I think it's a kind of a funny place because you have so much time within the week. Um, they're like three days between between races. Like the the heat got moved a day earlier because of weather. Um, so there's a lot of time to be around each other. And everyone's kind of having the same kind of hopes, doubts, fears, like running through the mind. But like, it's pretty hard that you don't want to, you, you want to show that you're in good shape to, to everyone else in the crew as, as, and, and be as calm as you possibly can. Um, so I think we did well to manage that and get to the ref. And we sat down the night before the ref and basically said, like, we want to try and make sure that we've, we've ended this race as early as possible and made sure that the minimum goal was to qualify for the final. Um mm. And to make sure that we got out the blocks well and we didn't turn it into a dogfight, which we did really well. It was one of the, it was another one of those days in Tokyo where the conditions were mad. I remember turning up at the course and seeing kind of white caps coming down it and thinking, right, okay, so there's one per one boat's not qualifying from the from this heat. If you drop a blade or you catch a crab or do something that that, that could well happen yeah, in those conditions, that, that could be lights out. So then that was kind of like another another fear in our minds um i think it was an interesting place because the team there were a lot of finals that day um and we had a lot of fourth places in the team which is pretty hard when you're you can see people have put it's like everything everyone's like hoped and dreamed of and they're coming back into like a private athlete resto and you know people haven't got the results they wanted or they've been on the wrong side of a really a really tight race um and it's hard to know whether you want to be in that space or like mm. you want to say something or not say something. So then that was something that I guess little things that you don't necessarily think about how much like the greater picture can actually affect you in your own head. Um, and again, that day was another one where we, we got the job done, but then I don't think we rode that well in the second 1500. We sat down and had another pretty honest conversation and like punches weren't pulled, which is, which is good to see. It was like the, um, it was the first time in the season that we'd really like actually been put under pressure emotionally with each other, um, and we came through it really, really well. I think the final was the best race we had on the day. Do I think it was the best rowing that we'd ever rowed in the crew? Uh, no, I think I think we maybe found we found more speed earlier in the season, or we were certainly riper in, earlier in the season than we were at the games. For, for for a variety of reasons, but I do I do remember like being in the third five hundred that race and thinking like like every like this thing is literally at nine thousand RPMs and and this is all we got. Um, so from that from that side of it, you can't have too many regrets from the day. But there, yeah, there are there are definitely things that I think we go through in the preparation and and maybe sharpen um, or just be a little bit more streetwise and have more experience on board. It's pretty hard when I guess Mo was the only guy who really knew what to race in Olympic Games felt like, and we were 
the rest of us were like loving the experience, but also you're you're always learning on the fly. Um, and certainly, I think going into Paris, this squad has a lot more, a, a, a much better blend of youth and experience within it. Mm. Yeah, I think it was that was one of the craziest statistics that I, I mean, I think that came out of of the team is that Mo was the only one that had raced in the in the the Rio Games out of the I think it was just the sweep team. But like just to have that much change over, um, you know, it must have been, you know, it's kind of one person just uh, bringing on all that that experience. Uh, I'm sure Mo did a pretty good job though. So that was my next question: was what was it like rowing with with Mo in the eight? You know, he's had so many good results, and you know, he's so much uh, so much experience, and I think he's he must be such a, a kind of icon to to have in your boat. And you know, he must have learned a crazy amount from him, Tom. Yeah, I mean, he's an absolute titan, titan of the sport. I feel like, um, again, kind of like we sort of said about John Gearing, where it's just like the guy like feels so much from within the boat. And then when he says something, you always listen to it. It's always a value. He's very good at like not saying things unless they need to be said, um, which means that obviously when he does say something, you know that it's probably something you should heed and, and listen to. Um, mm. I love I loved Romo. I obviously got to sit behind him quite a lot over the years but um we uh yeah it would have been obviously nice to to have won a one in tokyo and to be able to be like ah oh, we sort of cemented that legacy because uh like he's a phenomenal athlete and he's someone that's given so much to the team and to the sport and i mm. really enjoyed rowing with him he's an animal you know the guy's a savage and he just like loves to just he's so meticulous in all his preparation and, and the way he trains just to be able to like make sure it's always perfect and I think that that's the side of him that people don't always see you don't realize but it's like there's so much more that goes into it than just like being big mo you know and that's mm. pretty pretty cool and I think to the younger guys in the team you sort of learn quite a lot from that mm. yeah for sure um so Ali moving on to you know moving on to 2022 there was uh you know it's obviously been a, a massive year you guys moving into the pair and give us a little bit of background into like your your decision making process to move from the eight into pair because obviously that's a huge it was a huge decision and you know it's obviously I would I'd love to know like what was the you know what was the context around the the idea. Um, that is a good question. Um, <laughs> I guess uh, I guess. We never really thought about it as like a long-term project. Um, well, obviously there was no project at the start of the year where we both turned up and we were on stroke side. So that was pretty simple. Yeah. And then, and then <laughs> someone had to jump on the, some jump on the grenade and, and make one bad hip into two bad hips. Um, <laughs> so that happened in November. And then obviously like it pretty quickly, it was like, well, if this is going to work and it makes sense, like, Let's hop in the pair. We've got to, we've got to do trials, and I think we had we had um, crackers there. So James Cracknell came up in January early on, and was quite like we were kind of like getting out in the pair. We just we both had COVID over Christmas, so we kind of separated ourselves a little bit from the rest of the uh, Cambridge training group, and they were doing quite intense pieces and stuff. And we were just like, right, we're just going to go and do a load of like UT two long miles as a way to come back from from COVID and. Mm. Um, get ourselves back into back in shape and ended up being like a really really good training block 
and the pair was like running quite well. But then, so I, 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 I didn't, I don't know which way was up and which way was down. I didn't know my left and left and my right in the boat. Um, so I couldn't really, I, I wasn't saying too much. Tom was saying making good noises, but Cracker sat us down and was like, "Look, guys, like you have the ability to not only compete at this level, like you have the ability to be right at the sharp end of it." And I think you need to set 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 your sights high and look at this and say like, "There's a real." possibility of a project here so he was the first one that him him with along with rob were like by the end of january we're kind of pushing this and then we we went to february long distance trials and i think we won it by like 15 seconds and we kind of both got in the car on the way home it was like oh sweet we're actually going okay then this is all right Mm. um and from that moment on it was like okay this actually we've shown a bit of speed here against like a, what we assume is a pretty competitive domestic field. Um, maybe there might be something here. But then again, it was still like do the boat race, get trials out, get like final trials a week later out of the way. Um, and then we didn't really know what was going to happen after that because we didn't win the trial. Um, but we're competitive. And that Paul Sanard was like, I want to see, I want to see you race in Belgrade in the pair. And we're going to send two other British pairs. So it was, yes, we've selected you, but we were GBR2 on the list. Like it was definitely not like a, we want you to be the pair this year. Um, which just kind of made sense with our studies and where we were located in Cambridge. And we turned up to Belgrade and I, I remember like lining up on the, lining up on the heat start line and just like absolutely cacking it and being like, I have no idea what's about to happen right now. Like I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> And had that had that like epic feeling that you get every 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 odd race where you just start rowing away from the field without really trying too hard to row away from the field. Mm. Um, and that weekend was obviously a great weekend, and that was probably the point where it was like, okay, right, let's go and do this. Like we really want to go and do this and set our stall out and show what we can actually do. Um, but very much still, we went to Henley, and there was there was another domestic pair racing that we had to beat. Still, we went to Lucerne. There's another domestic pair there racing that we had to beat. So I didn't really necessarily feel until the end of the World Cup series that it was like, okay, right, like you've shown that you're the right guys to do the job in the pair. Yeah. Now let's take the project on. Um, we had a lot of racing in the season. It's 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 an interesting one to look at. And I didn't really realise it until like looking back on it once everything, all the dust had settled and everything was kind of finished up. But we had a lot of kind of like lurched, like kind of push to the next goal and the next goal and the next goal. Um, and that resulted in the result that we got at the end of the year, which is awesome. But at the same time, I think if we were to do it again, it would very much be like, we have to look at the year as a whole and work out where mm. we want to be in the end of August, September, rather than just like trying to win each individual race as you go through the season. Um, yeah. But it was very much like yeah. a step-by-step process. Because, I mean, if, if you look at it, especially compared to the previous two years, you know, we had COVID, we didn't race at all then. I don't know if you guys, uh, did, did you race the, the Europeans in 2020? No. So then, so no racing there, then the like two races in 2021. And then this year, I mean, you guys have raced, almost, it feels like almost every weekend because you've got sure. two World Cups, European champs, boat race henley and a world champs it's you know it's chock-a-block and it must have you must have felt that as a huge change from the the previous two years 
Yeah, Tom. madness. Yeah, yeah Matt. Uh, I, I agree. I, I did really enjoy it. I did really enjoy, like, um, I think Lucerne obviously was an unbelievable high. Belgrade was epic. Henley was interesting because we had an epic race on the Saturday um, and then almost, like, dropped the ball a little bit, I think, because it was like, wow, so much emotional energy, so much, like, pressure and everything into that. And we tried to then, like, just route one it on the Sunday and didn't. That was dumb, as it proved to be. Um, but uh, yeah, just I was like looking back on it, I hadn't really ever thought about it in that way. I just remember like Europeans obviously was like not as good as we'd want it to be. Came second and lost to Romania, and I felt like we could have had a better stab at them. And then got to Worlds and obviously won our heat, won our semi. We like beat Romania in the semi. It's like here we go. That's where we need to be. And then it was just like we just felt like maybe just a bridge too far for where we were in that season. Like you said, a lot of racing. A lot of different racing, like the boat race, for example, is just like totally different. But that's just like an absolutely cake yourself for seven for seventeen, eighteen minutes and see like what you can do. And so you end up like being a little bit, um, yeah, you're just sort of like jumping around and trying different things out. And then also having never raced in the pair, it was like right, get to Belgrade first race at Belgrade, sort of like hard as you can go straight away. Uh, second race, okay, we'll just do the same again, but even more third race to the same again even more and it was it was always like just we don't really know actually how to race the pair necessarily we're just trying to like win each race by whatever way we can which obviously is like one way of doing it but i think we learned a lot throughout the year to the point that like hopefully if we do get the opportunity again which would be awesome we are able to be like right we know how to control races we know how to do this we know how to do that we probably need to work on our start a bit I think that's probably the big takeaway from worlds but once we've done like if we do that i feel like we then kind of bring it together a complete package but it's like trying to understand that and establish it because kind of like you said talking about eights like the eight it's like there's only one tactic just like hit it and then this it's like right you need to hit it but you also need to be able to like get the fastest cruising pace have the fastest middle k have the fastest last 500 to be able to absolutely dominate it mm. yeah. yeah and just uh on the actual pair field this this year i mean just fr from like having a little bit of racing in it and also just watching it. I mean, what an absolute roller coaster year of in the men's pair. I mean, like every yeah, wow. different regatta, yeah. there seems to be, you know, a new pair on some ridiculous form. You know, you guys looked really strong in Lucerne and like, you know, take Romania, for example, they had an absolute blind of a world champs and Europeans and they're racing in the, the B final at the third world cup. And like Spain's another good example Australia, New Zealand, like the list of really competitive yeah. pairs, Serbia is ridiculous at the moment. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it must be crazy, Oli, coming from like the eight where obviously it's incredibly competitive, but the, the, the field is maybe a little bit more narrow and more focused. And then you get involved in the pair. We've spoken about all the racing, but then having to race against so many top quality crews and like, you know, you never know when you get to the regatta who's going to be on good form. Like it, it must be quite a, a huge experience of of learning, not just about like you know racing, but changing uh, changing an event too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you like you look at the world's final, and there were six crews lining up, basically thinking, right, we can have a stab at this, and if it if things go, if if the cards fall our way, we can win this. Um, certainly, yes, the Romanians were like in our head the crew the crew to beat in terms of the ones that we had to get ahead of if we wanted to win win that race 
but at the same time, you look at the way the Serbs came in the in the third five at us. Um, you look at what the Kiwis have done earlier in the season. You know what the Aussies are capable. Certainly with Alex Hill on board, um, you knew that there was like quality across 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 the field. And then you have got the Spanish, who guys have been together a long time, and they've always always kind of like have something in them. They pushed really really hard in Belgrade. Um, they certainly maybe overcooked it in Lucerne. But then again, um, Europeans, that was a crew that we kind of wanted to wanted to stamp our, th- our authority on. But then every single time we kind of tried to make a move in, in both in the semi and the final, they're still there and they're still responding. Um, and they've been, a t- been together a long time. And it, it's, it's one of those, one of those kind of fields where on any given day, six different crews could have won that race. Um, Mm. But that's that's kind of exciting. Like that's exactly why, like yeah, that's why you want to be there, there at, at, at mm, racing it this exactly. year. It's like you you knew that's where the competition was, and and for me, like we line up on the start line. Certainly, certainly for me, it's like you line up on the start line. You want to know who the best in the world is. Certainly on on World Championships finals day, and and you don't want you don't want to win a medal where people have been hiding in other places. Um, yeah, I guess like it's 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 epic just to know where you're at, and that's the that's the best yardstick. And certainly for me, like the pairs where a lot of nations have have stuck their eggs, so which is which makes it an exciting boat class to race in, and an exciting boat class to watch. Yeah, it's got it's kind of why I think I want to go back to it. You know, it's like you sit here and you're like, oh, we got bronze medal, and that's really cool. We won Lucerne, that's really cool. Want to win Europeans in the in the world and be like, okay for that period of time we were the best in the world and that's you know and the way like we just said it's such a strong field that you're like wow okay you actually are the best in the world that's pretty cool yeah and you know i was just about to say like obviously the the idea is to to win the gold medal at at world champs but for you guys to have gone there and you know obviously it, it might not have been what you guys wanted but winning that bronze medal with the year you had and taking the decision to move into the pair there must have been quite a lot of pride that comes away with uh, you know picking up that medal in in such a massive field, and we've spoken about all the the parts of what makes a pace so competitive. So, like you know, as far as you know, medals go along, you guys must be still pretty proud with the the results you got at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, I think it's a hard one. That's you, you're never going to sit there and and pat yourself on the back because you didn't achieve what you wanted to achieve. Um, but it was interesting, like. Spoke to because Grace Prendergast is at uh, Cambridge this year, and obviously she's got a load of experience racing the pair. It was kind of interesting to sit down and talk talk with her after after like worlds and stuff, and she was like, "You guys did really really well." Like Kerry and I have been in that combination for eight years. It's taken us eight years to get to that level. Like if you'd managed to jump in it and done half your season in eight in a student eight, and then done half your season in a pair with one of you switching sides, and get the job done, like that'd be pretty unprecedented. Um, of course, like we set our stall out to try and do that, and that was always the goal through the year. So we can't get away from the fact that we failed on that on that side of things. Um, but at the same time, you have to. Look, I I mean, I look at it. I part of me looks at it and says, if you told me that this is going to happen at the start of September 2021, I'd a laugh at you, and mm. b probably <laughs> bite your hand off for it. Um, so I think like perspective very much changes the goalposts, but then. You also never want to get away from the fact that if you have a goal and you don't achieve it, you can't sit there and be really chuffed about it. 
Yeah, but I really like what you're saying there about the 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 kind of longevity of a lot of the crews that you you see racing, especially in the pair and starting to perform. Like it takes it takes a long time. You know, people have to spend a long time rowing together. And you know, if you think of like the Serbians or the Spanish, they've been together for you know a number of years to start to to get those results. So yeah, as as you said, it's it's impressive, but then obviously not what you wanted. So I'm sure that leaves quite a lot of unfinished business. And Tom, you touched on like you you know you looking to go back into that boat because you 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 know what's kind of what's out there. Yeah, I'd love to. I think uh, it's a different type of racing. Obviously, I'll go wherever I'm put and. Uh, you know, I don't make the decisions, yeah. but like, were that to be offered to me, I think it's something that I'd take, uh, yeah, to go back into the pair with Ollie and to go around again, but being like a little bit wiser as to like how we've got to do it and, you know, knowing where our weaknesses are rather than kind of like finding a weakness at one regatta, working on that until the next one, uh, and then that bit being better, but then finding another weakness, it's, I'd like like to be able to do a winter in the pair and roll through it and be like, okay, we know exactly what, what we do and we know what all our tools are. We're not just like finding them halfway down the track in the, the third mm -hmm. World Cup or at Europeans and just being like, oh, well, we can do this. That's great. Didn't know that. Okay. And just trying to like piece it all together. And I think that that's like part of the experience side of it that like is just, it's cool to be able to look, look at and be like, there's a lot of potential there to move on. For well, sure. And then, uh, obviously you guys spend a lot of your time uh, rowing in, in like the, the Cambridge road class uh, boats this year, but what was it like? Obviously the, the British team changed quite a lot, you know, over the last two years. Um, and when we spoke to Imogen Grant, uh, what, two weeks ago, then mm. she had said that, you know, the, the culture or the, the team felt quite different, but like super positive and just a really cool environment to, to row in this year. And I mean, you can look at it compared to, uh, you know, the results this year compared to the results um, last year, you know, the British team looked all these new faces, all these new names uh, and still boxing uh, right at the, the top of the, the charts. So what was it like for, for you guys, Tom, to, to come into this, um, into like a different team? Uh, yeah, I, I um, definitely like, we sort of knew that it would feel very different. Uh, and I think we probably didn't anticipate like quite how much like how much has changed and how much has stayed the same and it's kind of the classic like in order for things to stay the same everything has to change you know in order for gb to stay at the top everything all the personnel have to change at some point right but, and so uh, it was a full like quite interesting to come back into but i think it's been really positive uh it's like a great group of guys who all just want to win rowing races and <laughs> that's all you can sort of ask for um, and it's been fun uh we're still Literally, I've done three rows with anyone other than Ollie since being back in the team. So, um, and that's been all this week. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a bit different, but it's like good fun, it's good attitude, it's a good approach, and I think that the like focus has stayed the same ultimately. And then, so uh, we had a few questions from our like our Patreon uh, group that they put their their questions through, but we've asked most of them. Uh, we also it was a lot about the coaching and Yale and Cambridge and and all the different kind of coaches. So like, I, there was a question that kind of came from just all the different coaches because I rode under one coach like my entire rowing career from 2009 to 2021, and I you know that experience is quite unique because you build such a good relationship with someone and you kind of learn exactly how they 
you know how their program works how they want you to perform and and just that was was quite unique but you guys are on the other end where you know you rode for different coaches different varsities and you know always changing even in your in your national team so what is it like swapping between different coaches and do you think that that has made you better athletes yeah i think so i think you a new voice will always unlock something just in your mind in a way to think about something that you're trying to change um i think i've been really really lucky with the coaches that i've had john at radley is, is an unbelievable technical coach um and i had kind of the best running education you could ever really want at, want for out of him i think steve it's a very different style of coach, but a very, very good coach in terms of like toughening you as an athlete and teaching you how to race and teaching you how to win and like building a uh, a program in which can take you to a level physiologically that maybe you weren't at before. And then I think having Jurgen for the for the three years that that we had him, like it's just a privilege and an honour. Like the guy, the guy's a legend of our sport. He's a legend of Olympic sport. Um, he's seen everything under the sun. And just learning how he operates, learning like what's important um, for him in the way a boat moves, has like definitely massively helped us. Um, and then we've kind of this year with Rob and last year with Steve, um, Tratmore, like it's been it's been another really nice shift of emphasis. So like certainly with Rob, I feel like Rob is in the pair. Maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's a I guess like a symptom of racing the pair. The pair I felt like. We our relationship was very very collaborative, um, and it was felt very much like a flat structure that like we were just three mates like trying to do something together, um, mm. which is a really nice kind of. I guess I felt like I had a lot of input into how I wanted to row the boat, whereas in an eight like that can't be the case. Like you all have to be on the same page, and you kind of have to like like sing from the agreed hymn sheet. So I feel like because of all those like different styles I've had or we've had, it's enabled us to be a little bit more adaptable and you can just take little bits from different people. I, I think the amount of times in your head that you're kind of relaying a current situation to something that happened in the past or what would Jürgen say to this or what would Steve do around this situation or like how, how, would, how would Rob or Rob react to this? Like it's definitely like quite a good kind of mental sounding board to have. Um, and gives you a little bit more of like an extensive toolkit to deal with what comes down the road. Tom, another another interesting question we got from the patrons, you know, were they were interested in your experiences with uh, with Whoop, the fitness tracking device, and oh, just yeah. you know how 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 effective it's been, and then also just like you know how, how have you used the data, or has has the data informed much when when it comes to your training, and uh, just just how effective it is um, apart from yeah. like a, a standard heart rate system. Yeah. Oh, so I think the first thing I say is just like when I, when I'm rowing, I always wear a heart rate belt just linked to my watch. So I find a bit more accurate throughout um, that. I don't just rely on the wrist, um, but I think it's really good on the like recovery side, the sleep side of stuff. Uh, I love that. It sort of t- told me, you know, I know like try not to drink caffeine after about 2 PM. Uh, try not to uh, try, try not to, um, yeah, stay up late, like watching TV, little things like that. It's like little habits like that that you then realize actually make a big difference. Um, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, on the recovery side and the sleep side, I think one of the things I really learned was that uh, basically how long you're actually awake for during the night. And so, like, if I go to bed at 10 and I get up at 6, I haven't actually had eight hours sleep. I probably had about six and a half. 
Uh, and so then you suddenly realize like how important it is to make sure you're like ticking boxes and, and uh, yeah, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier about like, it's an all the time thing and you need to be able to like, like look after yourself all the time to be able to perform at your best. And, and I think, especially at Cambridge, I think it came into its own massively because obviously you're like running around, you have to go to classes and you have to do your training and it's like, what else do you want to do? You want to have a bit of a social life as well because you're a student and you're like running from A to B to C and uh, actually having that there is just something to ground you in and be like, actually, I can't do that right now because I'm going to get sick if I keep doing this or I'm going to like, you know, I need to go to bed earlier or um, I think it was really important. Uh, so yeah, I, I like it a lot. Um, probably like, I think that the scores it gives you when you're actually working out are probably about right. But I think the heart rate, when you then go into that, so it's like, oh, this was a 16K row. This is going to be like a 16.5 on there, like, ranking system that's probably about right but if i go into the heart rate data it's, it's sort of all over a little bit all over the place to be honest so then i'd just say you want to defer to the heart rate belt for actual mm. sessions and just use this because it's pretty accurate when you're just like you're pretty latent and either sitting around or sleeping so yeah i think it gets it's it's, it's actually quite ridiculous what your what kind of metrics you can use these days with with all these sorts exactly. of devices going around yeah um but yeah, that, that's certainly quite incredible. I mean, this brings us towards the, the end of our interview. Um, and we've got, uh, we've got the quick fire questions, which we ask every single guest on the okay. show. And oh, jumping, into, <laughs> jumping into the first question, we'll start with Oli. Uh, if, you could roast, if, if, you could roast, if you could race any boat class at the Olympic Games, what would it be and why? Path. And Oli, the, the men's pairs, that is the easy choice for you to go to the Olympics in. Yeah, it's just the one that you can look at your result and know that like 50% of it was me. And I I kind of like the idea of being in control of your own destiny, even if it's mm. not a nice destiny. <laughs> yeah. No. My official answer is also the pair. My official answer is also the pair yeah. for the same Officially. reason. Officially, no, for sure. Um, <laughs> the, the second question is, so if you... Um, we'll we'll start with you, Tom. If you could race, uh, if you could choose any three people from any time, anywhere in the world to row in a four with, uh, who's your who's your 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 three crewmates going to be? Just just the one thing you can't you can't pick each other in the four. Let me just make that easy for the two of you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want I want peak crackers in there definitely because <laughs> I want to you know that would be an experience. Uh, and then I want I want Drew. I want Drew G. And I want. I've got to work out my sides here. He's on bow side. And uh, Crackers was a bit both, wasn't he? So I can kind of pick anyone. And then maybe, probably, ultimately, Hamish. Yeah. you got to have him in there, don't you? That's probably my three. Of course. The, yeah. The absolute legends. And just on James Cracknell, I must say, like, just from the outside, that guy seems like an absolute savage. Like, the things that he's done in his lifetime, just not just in rowing, but outside of rowing, he just seems, you know, he's like one of those people that can just take, yeah. you know, her to a whole new level. Yeah, what a guy! Mm, for sure. And Ali, what would your what would your mix up look like in the in the Coxes four? Oh, it's not really a fair draft pick, is it? You've you, you've just taken three picks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm having. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm having. True. I'm a, I'm having Jake Wetzel. Yes, good choice. Um, oh, epic. With no hair, by the way, he's not allowed to have the long blonde hair that he's got now. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's spending too much time at Africa. He's spending too much time at I mean America burn or no, it's called it? Burning Man. Burning Man. So <laughs> America Africa burn. burn. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have Jay Wetzel. I'll have I'll have Pinson in the straight seat. Um 
And then what was my last one? Honestly, honestly, it it would be a joy to get get in a forward with Hilly, um, and just see how he does it on the legs because oh, yeah. because it's it's absolutely unbelievable to watch in the warm up lane, like the yeah. the stink he gives it is is ferocious. <laughs> yeah, no, I've also I would also like to like every time I see him rowing, I know like obviously when you go overseas like oh give it stick, but every single time I see him rowing at any sort of yeah. capacity, it just looks fast like he's just giving it gears whenever it's 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 crazy all the time and actually what's what's quite funny about jake vetzel is that when we when we spoke to him on a podcast i was looking for him online and i found this guy called jake vetzel and he had hair and i'm like surely not this is not the (laughs) there's no way there's another guy out there called jake vetzel and i'm like what how does this work and then Turns out he flip and shaved everything off like all the time for for racing and yes, is he? Yeah, he's a good choice. I he would definitely be in my four as well. Yes, that oak is just next level. Um, and then yeah, coming on to the next question is, uh, what is your favorite rowing race that you find yourself watching over and over again? Starting with Tom. Oh, I'm really bad at what I never really watch races back, so of mine. So I guess, uh uh, the one I've probably watched the most probably the GB Men's Four in 2012. Yeah, that's one that I think uh, I, I was like at that age as well, where you're like just sort of trying to make your way in rowing. We were doing the junior team that year when they won, so probably that. I've also probably watched actually that South African Lightweight Four in 2012 a few times. Yeah, so that's probably worth a uh, mention. Nice. Yeah, yeah, those are good picks. Good picks. Yeah. yeah. There's such a cool like edited version of the the 2012 race where they oh no I think I'm thinking of uh, Beijing of 2008 what the GB4 the yeah the GB the GB4 in 2008 there's like a cool edited version on YouTube yeah. where they like cut into them commentating on the race it's really cool yeah but yeah I mean that's uh, those are banging races though and yourself Oli honestly it's again on the the same Jay Wetzel lines like the Canadian eight from 2008 like. They're rowing like they got their hair, their hairs on fire. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just and Mike Spraglin just in there, yeah. it's just like, yeah, oh, it's okay. Thank, thank <laughs> you, yeah. Yank on it, yeah, really, yeah. really yank on it. Yeah, I don't, y'all. Yeah, go on, guess on it. An environment yeah, is you, created. <laughs> yeah, when you watch the when you watch the training videos of that uh, of that campaign, and then you kind of watch them race, it's actually no surprise. Just uh, the ferocity oh, yeah. and it's like actually i find sometimes you see crews that are that row and they obviously row really fast but they've got a really like uh eloquent way of of rowing and when you watch the canadian eight not that they they don't know what they're doing but just yes, they the way they give that thing stick is your yeah, next level there's no, so it, no they, might, they might not know what they're doing <laughs> they might not we don't know you know right yeah no that's like so it's agricultural yeah <laughs> that's the best way of that of describing someone's rowing i've ever heard agricultural yeah agricultural uh, you could describe jake's rowing as ag- agricultural hey you must stop your shit yet Dude, eh? that's a olympic medalist <laughs> crew that he's talking about so okay. tom you got it you got it down <laughs> so the next question is if you were in charge at uh at world rowing what would you change ollie uh night sprints I'd like the whole 2K up oh, with um yeah. with floodlights. I'd do racing from like 5 p.m. to midnight. Um, yeah, it wouldn't be ideal as an night. Yeah, that'd be sick. There'd be bars down the track, and we turn it into we get some like 
kind of knockoff Champions League theme, theme music going on. Um, and yeah, yeah, just like, stop doing racing. That's yeah, like hold Lucerne at night would be epic, wouldn't it? Like, that would be other, cool. Other, other, other than test cricket, there's no acceptable, like, sporting event that starts at like 10.30 where you can have a, a beer in your hand watching it. No. Um, so I feel like we need to like make it more well, spe- spectator friendly. Well, I I, t- I tell you and what, you might say that, but when the when when the the rugby championships is on and they're playing evening games in Australia and New Zealand, you there's you wouldn't be surprised uh, yeah, to see how many people <laughs> drinking at eleven o'clock in South Africa. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what I like about that idea is is I've also thought about it, but you could also like you think about all the historical cities there around the world. And like, it's really hard to find 2000 meter pieces of water in really popular locations. But when you chuck it down to less yeah. than 500 meters and you think about really cool locations that you can host it at and go to like, make it a big city thing and go to all massive cities around the world yeah. and make it a real circuit. I mean, it's, it's one way I feel like you could draw a lot of attention to the sport from like all sorts of angles, spectator, sponsorship and viewership in general. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Tom, you're on the you're on the same page, hey, night sprints. Oh yeah, uh, and I'd I'd F1 the sponsorship, like boats get them covered in sponsors, like the Dutch did with that eight. Like, why they black black ban that? It's just like you're pushing the sport backwards. Like, let Red Bull come in and like take it on, yeah. and then hope that other teams can do similar. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think that probably ties into the night sprints. I feel like that would work pretty well together. Yeah, no, I'm a big one for for that one. Jake, take the next one. Yeah, this so is the big one. this is the big one. And obviously, like, we're not going to go through the whole conversation, and not speak a little bit about the ergo. So the next one is uh, talking about, you know, 2000 P- meter PB. And we know, we know your, your, your pedigree on the ergo, Tom, is quite legendary. So, you know, just to kick it off, why don't you just give us a little bit of insight into, you know, your 2K and your 5K PBs? Um, yeah. Okay, uh, the 5K was the most horrific thing I think I've ever done in my life. Um, just an absolute self-effect from start to finish. Didn't even really, like with about 600 minutes to go, probably didn't think it was on. Um, but yeah, what's that? that one actually got quite a lot of time. That was what, a 14, 53 and a half, something like that. Yeah, um, for a 129, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that was um, that was obviously like pretty special. And to do it at Cambridge and to do it with those guys, like all those guys, and like um, was pretty cool. Um, I think the two K obviously was that was a bit more like I think attainable in terms of going under five forty and something that I wanted to do for a long time. And then lockdown actually just presented the perfect opportunity because I just was able to like ride my bike and erg for the whole time, and we had a pretty good program. And then was able to like get that down pat. And uh, by the time like we came to do it, I think. We'd done so many 1Ks and like 1500s and 500s. It was like, okay, I think actually the tools are there now to, to be able to do this. Yeah, and yes, it must have been quite brutal. Like in lockdown training, I, you know, I found it, it's obviously quite difficult when you obviously have all that, all that shit happening around the world and then you buy, you at home by yourself getting the training done. It must have, obviously yeah. it, it makes yeah, you yeah. a really strong athlete, but in terms of like environments to train, it, it must have been not the most oh. easy environment to, yeah. to have done it. Yeah. yeah it wasn't easy at all and i think the we as an eight were stuck together very well like our tokyo eight uh stuck together really tight and uh were able to like push each other along and obviously like i had mo there and mo's like we said earlier you know he was he's the guy that like pushed himself along and i was able to like sort of 
he, I pushed him, he pushed me, and it worked quite well. I also think I just really enjoyed the, having the freedom to be able to ride a bike a lot, and I just rode and rode and rode on about twice a week. I'd do like 150 k's mm. uh, on the bike, and just like obviously in lockdown, that was like my way of getting out of the house. And you were allowed to do one bit of exercise, and I'd okay, I'm gonna do a five hour bit of exercise, <laughs> and that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Shit. And then, so and Ollie, where do you sit on the on the two k? Um, two k. Yeah, we. Two k. I did mine. My best one was lockdown as well, actually. Um, 5.45.4, I think. Um, and then the 5K is 15.11. Shit, is a that, bit that's, that's awesome. The lockdown was a good uh, good period of training for both of you, eh? So, yeah. yeah. I've I just, I just spent my life chasing TG around on an ergo, which is, <laughs> it hasn't served me. It, I haven't gone too far wrong because of it. Um, yeah. Well, well, now you're on the you're on the road show, so you know we have a list of all the 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 athletes that we've had on the on the show, and uh, you now you don't have to just compete with uh, with TG. You can go against uh, some of the the other big dogs in the world. So your your five forty five puts you tie with uh, Martin Sinkovich, uh, just ahead of Michael Brake, Pete, Pete Reed, Reed Valen Sinkovich, uh, Kittle Borsch, and Damian Martin. And then if you just if you just pop into those uh you know those five forty fours the we have a whole stack of athletes on five forty four, Greg Saw, Olaf Tufter, Sveri Nielsen, and Bruno Rossetti from the uh, Italian team. So you you're in the you're on the cusp there. <laughs> That's it. You 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 sneak yeah. into tenth place on our on our on our leaderboard, and then um, Tom, what is your what is your exact time there? With a two k, uh, thirty nine two. Oh. Okay, so yep. you you come in at second place there, just behind uh, Oli Zidler, yeah, and ahead of Mahi Drysdale. Yeah, I mean, he's free, mate, Big Z. mate, Big Z is one of the best surfers they've ever Big been. Z. Yeah, best surfer to ever done. I uh, <laughs> I I was warming up next to him on the Ergo overseas, and I was I was warming up quite hard before racing, and I was he was next to me. I'm like, oh, you know, he's strong, he's strong. But you know he's not that strong. And then he did a burst. <laughs> he did a burst next to me, and I was like, "Fuck! I take back what I said." He's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, he's, he's an absolute unit. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that that brings us to to our last question: is um, if you had to choose a different sport to go to the Olympics in, what would it be, and why? Starting with uh, you, Ali. Tough. Um. I'd like to be a pole vaulter. Because I just think Monday de Plante is not. <laughs> That's oh. the first time I've ever heard someone say pole vaulter. I just think Monday de Plante is a cool bloke. Yeah, he's an animal, isn't yeah. he? <laughs> oh, like 400 meter hurdler with Carsten Warhol. Yeah, just yeah, actually left behind. Yeah. Nah, come on. Yeah. Oh, Ball vaulting. That's um, interesting choice. Yeah. <laughs> Oftentimes we yeah. the, the the athletes fall into two different camps. Someone that wants to go away from high intensity aerobic sport and someone else that just is a sucker for pain and chooses something else like cross country skiing yeah. or track cycling or something ridiculous along those lines. Yeah, I mean I was gonna say like either road cycling or like um triathlon, just absolute bin bin fest. Just like, you know. But yeah. yeah. That'd be, yeah. And then you, and yeah, um, yeah. if you could, oh, that'd be cool too. Yeah. 
And if, if Tom, if you could change your, your physiology, you know, make yourself a little bit shorter or whatever to suit a sport of any choice at the Olympics, what would your, what would your other choice be? Oh yeah. Triathlon probably. Yeah. That's just like savagery, isn't it? Just like go until you can't anymore. You know, watch some of like Ali Brownlee's things. Uh, there's one, yeah, and it's just like watching him destroy people on the bike, or yeah, or or go honestly be a road cyclist. That'd be stuff. Mm. I mean, it'd be horrific on your body, wouldn't it? But <laughs> what a lifestyle, and like um, you'd be able, it'd be pretty cool. And you get to do the Olympics and the Tour de France. You could probably tick off like two of the biggest things you could do. Yeah. So. yeah. And then like being able to like I find the the tactics in cycling are also really really interesting. The way that they you know the the way the team dynamic yeah. works and the the racing works is is so different to rowing it's always i find that quite interesting yeah cool yeah exactly so that's that's a wrap my my computer's about to die so i want to just uh well that's a wrap for if it dies it's a wrap for us and so from our side just a huge thanks for for coming on the show giving us a huge chunk of your time and uh for all the banter and all the insight and you know i think our listeners will really appreciate this so yeah thanks so much for for sharing no, thanks, boys. No, thanks so much for having us, lads. Really yeah. appreciate it. It's been awesome. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. No thanks. worries. Thanks, thanks, Oli. Yeah, thanks, Oli. It's good. It's good to have you on, and probably see you guys around next year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah thanks yeah, so yeah, much, yeah. guys. Yeah, appreciate thanks. it. Cool. So that is a wrap for our Oli and Tom episode, uh, the British men's pair for 2022. What an awesome chat. I think, uh, as we said right from the beginning, that uh, chatting to the British athletes are it's always impressive and they always bring a very unique perspective to boat classes and performance and training. So, And these two were, were no, no different. And I always enjoy chatting to, you know, a, a crew. You know, when you, have, when you have multiple guests on the show from one crew, we get a, we get a little bit more of the dynamic between the two of them how the boat works, how the, the banter is between them, you know, how serious, how relaxed the, the kind of uh, relationship they have is. And I think uh, that really came through really nicely. So, yeah, I, I love the episode. Jake, what are your big takeaways? Yeah, I think um, just following on what you said, I probably enjoyed the most just them talking about this this year in the pair together. I thought it was quite a, a, fa- a fairly candid discussion about um, moving into the pair, Ali stopping sides, and then, you know, for both of them to sort of you go from you know strength to strength and and learn a lot in the pair and i think we got to see a lot from the, the the combination of them going forward um especially if they stay in the pair but even if they move into uh, maybe the four and the eight um yeah. but yeah i think i just think they're going to go from strength to strength they continue racing the pair because it sounds like there's still a lot for them to learn and i always find when you have such an exciting bow class like the men's pair um it's such a good platform for crews like ollie and tom to go and um go on and show probably the most exceptional and the, the the best performance rowing that you could probably watch so yeah that's definitely um really enjoy this conversation around the pair also there was another element that i really that i really really liked was the fact that they um have been together they've like rowed together for so many years and their like kind of journey has been so parallel even though they never really rode in like the small boats on the pairs together because they were on the same side. You know, the fact that they've gone through school together, they both went to study in America and, and row there. 
Then they came back, both rode for Cambridge. Then only did they decide, cool, we're going to get in a pair. We're going to sw- uh, one of us is going to swap sides. We're going to get into the boat and then having it go well. I don't know. It's just like a very cool element to the, to the story and the, and the journey. Um, so I really appreciate it. Um, that part of the, the story, I always think that made it, that made it a lot more interesting, uh, especially when you look at it in the big picture yeah. and how it all fits it, how the puzzle pieces kind of all fits it together yeah. to make a, a very fast combination. It almost seems like a natural evolution for them to, to have, to have gone from, you know, racing at school together, kind of spending similar, similar times together in America, racing each other, joining the program together at around the same time frame, and eventually leading down into the men's pair. So I think very natural evolution and I think big things for them to, uh, to, to come. Um, but besides that, thanks, you know, thanks everyone for the support. Thanks for listening. It's obviously massive and yeah, we're very, very excited for this year, um, for the, the Roadshow podcast, hopefully getting bigger and better as always. And a massive shout out to our Patreons out there. Um, for those listening on the public feed, our Patreons received this episode as one of their final episodes of 2022. So that's one of the the benefits of the Patreon program, that early access. Um, But besides that, guys, uh, it was great. Great having another episode. And yeah, we wish everyone a a great 2023. For sure. Thanks for listening. We're out. Ciao.